Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and it is week three And that means it's time for our preview of the matchup between the second-ranked Georgia Bulldogs and the nowhere close to being ranked South Carolina Gamecocks. We're absolutely going to take a deep dive into this matchup between the Dogs and the Cox in just a minute. But first, I have a couple of quick things I want to throw your way. couple of big shout-outs here at the top to All Dog, RJ Randall, Would You, and KG884 for leaving us our most recent five-star reviews. You guys are awesome, as is everyone else who has already left us one of those five-star ratings and or reviews. Now, I will say, you guys are killing me with the Charlie love because I'm the one here that has to deal with that monster you're creating every single week on the show. But on the other side, I'm also really glad you are enjoying the podcast and the different vibe and unique personality that Charlie brings to the table on this podcast. And we are just, of course, very grateful for all the support from all of you guys out there. You know, looking back at the numbers from last week following that week one matchup against Clemson, guys, last week was the single best week that we have ever had on the Glory UGA podcast. In terms of downloads, listenership, We had more of everything across the board than we've ever had on this podcast. And we are also on track for the best month through the first half of the month. We are on track for the best month this podcast has ever had. And really, it's not even especially close. So unless things just fall off the face of the earth, and who knows, they might. Looks like we're going to have a record-setting month, and that is all thanks to you guys and the ways that you support this show. We absolutely cannot thank you enough for that. We've said it many times. I'll say it again here because I don't think it can be said enough. This show would not exist without you guys. We wouldn't still be around. There'd be no need to even do a show if you guys weren't listening, you weren't enjoying it. So thank you guys very, very much for listening and all the different ways that you support our podcast, for interacting with us, all that stuff. We sincerely, sincerely appreciate all that. And I also want to remind you guys again about the massive tailgate that game day tailgate experiences is putting on in Jacksonville for the Georgia Florida game this season. I've got all the details pinned to our Twitter feeds at glory underscore UGA. So you can kind of just check everything out there and get all the details. And also you can buy tickets there with that link. 
But guys, I'm just telling you, it's an incredible deal. It really is. Normally, like if you guys have listened to the podcast for years, you know that I, I'm not a big like traditional tailgater. To me, it takes too much time. There's never enough TVs, you know. And I like to watch all the other games. Obviously, I'm, I'm a Georgia fan first and foremost. That's what I live and die for. But I also just love college football. I like to watch other games. And when you're tailgating, you don't always get a chance to do that. Like if you're outside with the, the traditional tailgate setup, and it gets hot, especially this time of year, food runs out, and it's just work, man. At the end of the day, it's just a lot of work. I'm a pregame bar guy. That's normally how I tailgate. But I have done the game day tailgate experience before, and I'm telling you, if every tailgate was like this, I would change my tailgating habits real quick because it is the real deal. It's all you can eat food. It's not running out. It's all you can eat. An open bar, TVs everywhere, tinted scene to keep you out of the sun. You're going to have Brandon Boykin and Big Dog Woods. They're going to be there for a meet and greet, and it's literally right outside the stadium. No prep time, no cleanup afterwards. They do all that for you. You just walk in, you stumble out, you go to the game, have a great time. It is, guys. It's an awesome deal and an awesome experience, so check out the details on our Twitter page now and get your tickets before they sell out because they will sell out. There's also a VIP option as well if you want to spend a couple extra bucks, get to the front of the line with the, with the open ball food and all that stuff but all right guys the dogs are set to open sec play this weekend between the hedges at night as old friend shane beamer leads his gamecock football team into athens and look guys i've gotten some i've gotten some really positive feedback from a lot of you on how we are structuring these preview episodes with our countdown format so we're going to keep rolling with it. I'm, I'm enjoying doing it this way. I think it, it makes sense to me. And you guys, these people I've heard back from, seem to be enjoying it. So we're going to keep it rolling. Um, those of you who have reached out, thank you. I, I love to get your feedback, positive or negative. We love to, to hear from you guys because uh, we want to make this show a show for the people. That, that's why we did this. We want to make a show that was, a, first off, a show that we would want to listen to. And uh, we try to give you guys what you want. So let us know. Uh, feel free to share your thoughts anytime you want. And for those of you who are maybe listening to one of our game preview episodes for the first time, this year, and we've done this a little bit in the past, but we're kind of expanding it this year. We're using a countdown format where I, I identify and spotlight Five players to know, four stats that matter. This, we're switching up a little bit with number three and two. We're going to go with three questions. Then we're going to go with two matchups to watch and one key to the game. We'll just count it down like that from five to one. So let's go ahead and let's uh, let's get started, man. Let's kick it off with our five players to know. Now, obviously, guys, yeah, they've, they've got more than five players, and there are more than five players that make this team go, of course. But I am going to put the spotlight on five players that I think are the most important players on this Gamecock football team, on guys, on five guys that you really need to know. We don't have time to go through the entire roster. We'd be here, if I did that, which I could, I would happily do, but we'd be here for two or three hours. I don't think anyone wants to listen to that. So we're going to narrow it down to five guys that you really need to know. And I'm going to start you off with a two-for-one at the quarterback position with Zeb Noland and or Luke Doty. Luke Doty was going to be the guy coming into the season. They were incredibly thin at quarterback. He's a former hotshot recruit, at least as far as South Carolina recruiting goes. He was a former top 100 overall prospect in the 247 composite back in the 2020 class. I mean, say what you want about Will Muschamp as a head coach, but the guy knows how to recruit. 
and he built a good roster at Florida. He built a good roster at South Carolina. And Shane Beamer kind of walked into a situation where he has some talented players at spots. Now, not enough on that roster. There's been some attrition. Some of those guys that Muschamp recruited, they've left, they've transferred, they've gone pro, whatever. But some of those guys are still around. And Luke Doty is one of those guys. He was the guy that Muschamp was hoping would be like their guy at quarterback that would help him save his job. It didn't work out that way. They did not go with Luke Doty to open the season last year. They went with Colin Hill, the guy that Bobo knew from his Colorado State days. And, and Doty wasn't really ready early in the year. He wasn't really ready at the end of last year either. But once Muschamp was fired, they had all their opt-outs with COVID and all that deal. They just they went with Doty. They gave the guy a shot. He actually was a guy, if you watched the game last year, which I'm sure all of you did, that's the guy that started against us, played that game against us in Columbia last year. And if you remember that game, this is a guy that is a major threat with his legs. That is the best part of his game. He is a very fast quarterback. He is an explosive quarterback, but he also has some size and physicality to his game as well. He runs hard. He's a physical runner, but also a very quick, speedy runner as well. That is what he does best. Now, as a passer, he's hit or miss. I mean, he is, at least last year, is all we had to go off of. He is a guy that, yeah, like his completion percentage was okay because what they did is they basically just worked the short passing game, the screen game, uh, get, get the ball to the running back, get them in space, try to make things happen there. They were not asking him to really read coverages in any kind of significant way. They weren't asking him to try to push the ball vertically down the field because he was not ready to do that. They kind of tried to protect him. But he is a very, very much a work in progress. At least he was last year as a quarterback. Now, obviously, he's had this entire offseason as the guy because there was really, like, they had such little depth at the quarterback position. They were so thin there that when he went down with an ankle injury, actually a foot injury, early on in fall camp, I think maybe the second week of fall camp, late in the first week of fall camp, they had to turn to not a graduate transfer, a graduate assistant who had a little bit of eligibility left, a guy by the name of Zeb Nolan. If that name sounds familiar to you, that's because he is an old Oconee County prospect. He actually went to Iowa State at a high school, didn't work out for him there, and he ends up at South Carolina now. And he, As far as he was concerned, his football playing days were behind him, and he was just going to go and, and be a coach. So he was a graduate assistant on this football team heading into the season. Well, Luke Doty goes down, and this Zeb Nolan is their best option. At least he has a little bit of experience at the Power 5 level. Not a ton of success at the Power 5 level, but a little bit of experience there. So he puts off the headset, puts down the clipboard, and trades that in for a helmet and shoulder pads, and then he's the quarterback through the first two weeks of the season. Luke Doty, however... He was close to getting healthy last week. There was a chance he was going to play. He ultimately did not end up playing in that game. But Shane Beamer said early this week in his press conference to open the week that Luke Doty is 100% and that he is going to play in this game. He has every expectation he's going to play. So I also have every expectation he's going to play. I personally think that Luke Doty is going to start and go the whole way, but you never know how the, the foot injury, I think it was a midfoot sprain is what it ultimately ended up being. It wasn't a break. You never know how that's going to ultimately end up going. So maybe we'll see Zeb Nolan. And they're two very different quarterbacks. Like I said, Doty is a dual threat guy. So I don't know if I really want to call him a dual threat guy. He hasn't proven to me he's a true dual threat. He's proven to me he can run the football. He's a threat with his legs. I haven't seen him really threaten teams with his arm. So I, I always kind of like cringe when people say dual threat because they just automatically assume when a guy can run, that means he's a dual threat guy. To me, you got to be able to run and pass to be a dual threat guy. I haven't seen Doty show that he can actually throw the football with any sort of consistency, but he has had a full offseason of being the guy, of working with this new staff, getting into this playbook, 
and working on fine-tuning his passing skills. So I imagine he will be improved from last year in that regard. I just it's hard for me to sit here and say that he is going to be a major threat with his arm. He's got a good arm. He's got good arm talent, but their accuracy was an issue. Reading coverage was an issue last year. I'm sure he'll be improved there. How big of a jump? That remains to be seen. But there's also a chance that Zeb Nolan would would also factor in this equation as well. If Doty is struggling, if he's not able to move as well as they would like him to, because that is the biggest part of his game. So I wouldn't completely count out seeing Nolan in this game, which makes it tough to prepare when you're when you have to prepare for two quarterbacks because you're not 100% sure. But those are the first two guys to know on this South Carolina team because there's a chance we'll see both of them. Zeb Nolan, who's a guy who's been the starter for the first two weeks, but Luke Doty, who's going to be the starter for this team once he gets healthy. All right, so that's number one and two. The third guy to know on this team is wide receiver Josh Van. Now, when I did the scouting the enemy episode on South Carolina in the preseason leading up to the start of the 2021 season, one of the things I said on that episode was that there were serious questions about who was going to be the guy at receiver. Shai Smith was their top receiver last year, but he was pretty much like the guy. So he had 57 receptions last year. He was clearly basically their only weapon out, out wide last year. He had 57 catches. The next four guys, numbers two through five combined for 35 catches. That is how much they relied on Shai Smith last year, okay? He was the highest rated South Carolina wide receiver by over 20 points on pro football focus last year. He generated about 1.5 yards more per route run than any other South Carolina wide receiver. And that South Carolina wide receiver room last year was a bottom three graded wide receiver core last year, even with a guy as talented as Shai Smith on the roster. So my question was like, okay, he's gone. They No one else did anything last year for them. Who's going to be that guy? And I, I point out a couple guys, Josh Van or Trey Smith, Rico Powers, probably the top options to be like the guy. And Josh Van was the guy that I pointed out I thought was probably going to end up being their number one wide receiver. And through two games, that has been the case. Now, it's limited sample size, but through two games, he has been their best option wide receiver. He seems to be the guy, especially in the ECU game, when things got tight, he was the guy they were going to for big plays. He had five catches for 116 yards, 23.2 yards per catch against East Carolina last week in that very close win against the Pirates. He's a senior receiver now. He's from Tucker. You guys might remember him from a couple years back in in, uh, recruiting. We were recruiting him kind of on the periphery there. We ultimately didn't pursue him that hard at at the end of the day in that cycle, but he ends up going to South Carolina. And I think he's going to be their go-to target this year. He was last week. I think he's growing into that and he's going to be their guy. So we need to know where he is on the field at all times. He's a smaller guy. He's he's a lot like Shai Smith, honestly, if you look at him from like a physical standpoint in terms of like his physical profile. Uh, he's a guy that is, in my, I mean, if, when I'm looking at him, he looks like he's under six foot. They might say he's right at six foot, but I think he's about 5'11", about 185, 190 pounds, shifty, can do some of those things out of the slot, can also make some plays out wide, good route runner, those kind of things. So he's a guy you should got to watch for at all times. So another big time pass catcher that you've got to know where he is at all times, you got to be aware of him, is their tight end, a guy by the name of Nick Muse. And Nick Muse is very much a tight end that's kind of in the Brock Bowers vein. He's that 
guy that can certainly play in line and block for you. He's a willing blocker, but he's kind of that hybrid type tight end where he can go out and make plays in space as well. He's a really good athlete. He uh, originally started at William & Mary, transferred into South Carolina a couple years back, and has been a, a solidly productive player for them. Back in 2019, he has 17 catches for 158 yards. Last year, uh, was one of their top targets outside of Shai Smith. 30 catches for 425 yards, had a touchdown, 14.2 yards per catch. This year, it's been a little bit of a slow start. He's only got three catches for 21 yards on the season. This point does have a touchdown, but he has not made a significant impact at this point. That's kind of surprising to me because if you listen to Shane Beamer early on, like well, early in the season, also going back to uh, like SEC media days leading up to the 2021 season, he was talking about how much they want to use their tight ends. Now he was clearly sending a message to Oscar Delp from here in Georgia, who's a big time tight end in this 2022 recruiting class that uh, it's really it seems like it's down to Georgia and South Carolina, and they are recruiting him heavily. And so they were very much trying to send him a message when they were saying those things. But it hasn't exactly played out that way to this point. But still, I do expect him to try to get Nick Muse involved more in this game. Three catches, 21 yards. That's not enough for a guy that is as talented as Nick Muse and is really one of the better weapons they have offensively. So watch out for him. He hasn't been a major player for them to this point. At least he hasn't made a major impact in the passing game, but that could change as early as this week. And I do expect them to try to look for him in the passing game and try to get him going this year. And then the last guy to know, let's go over to the defense side of the ball here. Let's give some love to the defense. And I will tell you guys right now, we'll talk more about this later on in the episode. This South Carolina defensive line, they're legit guys. That To me, it's the strength of their entire team. Kind of like Clemson. It's the strength of this team. And the best player, at least the most productive player to this point in his career along that defensive front is a guy named Kingsley Inigbare. I don't know if you've heard of him. You probably didn't watch a ton of South Carolina last last year, but he's one of the better players in the, in the SEC that people don't really talk about because South Carolina just hasn't been good. He hasn't gotten the publicity because he plays on a bad team. But last year, he was only behind Aziz Ojolari in the SEC in terms of pro football focus pass rush grade. He had six sacks last year. He was first team all SEC as voted on by the coaches. He had two sacks last week against ECU, two, two big plays there. And he is a really, really good pass rusher. He's, he's explosive off the edge, got a quick first step. He uses his hands very, very effectively. He's got good, solid strength. But he is, I would say, to this point in his career, he's been an average run defender. That's kind of been his history. And I haven't seen that change all that much early on this season one of the highest rated pass rushers in the SEC last year, but in terms of his rush defense, he was sixth to last among SEC rush end defenders in rush defense grade, which is just not going to get it done. That's not good enough. So really what, to me, when I watch him play, sometimes it seems like he has trouble reading whether it's a run or pass and it kind of defaults to rushing the passer. And he, he, it's just a technique thing for him. It's not that he can't do it physically. He gets caught up field too much. He doesn't really close well against the run, like close down and take on blocks very well. But he's a really talented player. And he's a guy just like Josh Van on offense. You got to know where he's lining up on, on every single snap when he's out there on the field. So those are our five players to know. We got Zeb Nolan, Luke Doty at quarterback, a two-for-one there. Wide receiver Josh Van, tight end Nick Muse, and defensive end edge rusher Kingsley Enigbare. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. 
For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. But all right, let's go ahead and transition into the next step on our countdown. Four stats that matter. Whew, man. I know a lot of you were caught up watching that Ohio State-Oregon game last weekend at noon, the big noon kickoff, and I was watching that a lot as well. But did you catch any of that South Carolina ECU game last weekend? I did because I knew we were playing next week and I had to get ready to, to do this episode, and I just like watching college football, and man, yikes. Like I suffered through most of that game. Yes, I had to make sure I was ready to, to prepare for this episode, but also I had some money on the Cox to cover the two and a half. I wasn't overly confident in that one, and boy, did that game make me sweat. It was one of those weird games where like, I wanted so badly to root against them because I really, really do not like South Carolina. I've had some bad experiences with their fans. I do not care for their fans at all, but I had to root for them in this case because I had money on them, right? And they fell down 14-0 to ECU on the road in Greensboro before rallying for a 20-17 win over the Pirates. And Jesus, man, like they celebrated like they had just won the national title. Now, I was celebrating because I won a little money. But Jesus, man, like, come on, like, chill out, guys. They have players running around the field, like, deliriously. Shane Beamer jumping into the arms of his players, hugging them, them spinning him around. Just pure ecstasy. And all of that for beating ECU? A program that has, guys, not won more than four games since 2014. They've gone 21-48. and over the past six years in two games this season. They have won eight combined American Conference games over the past five years. Eight American Conference games over the past five years combined. That is the ECU team that South Carolina was celebrating a victory over like they had just won the national title. That ECU program. And to me, that tells you exactly where this Gamecock program is right now. They are not in a good place. They are losing their minds celebrating after beating a bottom, what I think is a bottom 25 team in college football. And they beat them by three points. Barely beat them. Snuck it out late. So while I certainly believe as a principle that we should respect every team that we play. If you've been listening to us for a while, which I know a lot of you have, you know that's what I believe. You know that about me. So I believe that we should respect every team we play. Because after all, guys, let's not forget, we did lose to a four-win South Carolina team at home in 2019. That game happened. I don't like to remember that it happened, but it did happen. 
So I'm not going to sit here and say it can't happen. But look, I'm also not going to sit here and call them a good football team like I did UAB last week because, well, yeah, South Carolina does have a few good players in spots, guys, like Josh Van and Kingsley Inigbari. South Carolina is definitively not a good football team right now, as evidenced by, number one, their performance over ECU against ECU last week, and then just the way that they just like lost their minds celebrating beating one of the worst teams in the FBS. Just a bad, bad look, and that gives you an idea of where they are right now. So that's stat number one. Go over all those numbers, how bad ECU is, and how much South Carolina, South Carolina celebrated a win over that bad of a team. All right, the next place I want to go here. Let's talk about Kevin Harris, running back Kevin Harris, who if you guys remember, here's some stats for you. Here's some stats that matter. Last year, Kevin Harris led the SEC in rushing yards per game. He went over 1,100 yards on the year, 114 yards a game. He was very, very good for them. He was a great fit for Mike Bobo's system, like downhill running style. We know all about that system, right? We had it here for years and years. But so far this year, Kevin Harris hasn't made that kind of impact, kind of like Nick Muse but even more starkly for Kevin Harris. So he didn't play in week one with an illness, whatever that might be. COVID, I don't know, and illness is all that, that, that they put out there. And he was back last week for ECU, played, but only ran the ball seven times for 33 yards. And this was the guy that was their bell cow last year. I mean, they leaned on this guy. He was either Kevin Harris or Shia Smith, basically every single play. And he just was very much a, a non-factor against East Carolina. And that was somewhat surprising to me. Although I did question the preseason on this guy in the, the enemy episode. Like, how much of a fit is he going to be for this new system? First off, what kind of offense are they going to have? You know, they're bringing in uh, Shane Beamer. He's got like the uh, the Lincoln Riley offense. Bringing a guy that's got some ties to Joe Brady. So it's probably going to be a mix of that. And does Kevin Harris really fit that system? Because that system really, both those systems rely on running backs that can be receiving threats out of the backfield. And Kevin Harris, as good of a running back as he is, he's a big physical power back. He's not a guy that's like, let's say Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and that's going to be out there catching balls out of the backfield, making people miss in space. That's not what he does. So I didn't know if he was going to be a fit, and I don't even know if he's going to be their top running back this year, guys. And this is a guy that led the SEC in rushing yards per game last year. So I'm curious. Now, maybe last week was more of a thing, just working him back in. Maybe it was like a serious illness. I don't know. Maybe it was COVID. I don't know. But it was kind of surprising to see him ready to go, but only get seven carries for 33 yards last week. So is that kind of just where he is? Is that where he fits into their offense? Is that what he's going to be this year? Or is that kind of a one-week thing, getting healthy off the illness, and now he's going to be ready to be more of a factor in their offense? I don't know. Um, but I have, I have questions here. If, if they can't find consistency or explosiveness on the ground, I just have zero belief right now based off what I've seen from him that Luke Doty can hurt us enough with his arm to really threaten us in this game. But they, they have a chance to improve their run game with Luke Doty. You know, it makes more sense, right? If you have a mobile quarterback, well, that gives them a numbers advantage in the box because they can just basically option off of a guy. They can leave the defenders unblocked and be the guy that they're reading. So the running backs will have more room to operate than they would without that mobile quarterback. So it takes a little bit of pressure off the back. So maybe Kevin Harris with the emergence of Luke Doty back in the lineup could have more of an impact. We'll see. I just don't even know if he's going to be their top running back right now. Because at least through two games, he has not been. That could change. Could change as early as this week. But to this point, he has not been their top back. All right, let's go to the next stat that matters here. A couple of stats here, but the next big category of stats. Let's talk about the South Carolina defense. Now, I do not believe South Carolina's offense is good enough to really threaten us. I don't think they can score enough to beat us. But defensively, this is a good team. It's it's almost like UAB in a little bit of a way. Like 
I told you guys last week, UAB was just not good enough to be us offensively. What they did was run the football. That's what they like to do. That's their strength offensively. And that was a bad, bad matchup for them. They were not going to be able to run the ball consistently against us. They actually ran the ball better than I thought they would. But everything they do is build off the run. They just never really found any sort of like consistent success running the football. And they just are a team that plays really good defense, runs run the football, hit play action off that. South Carolina is in a way similar. Offensively, they're different than, than what UAB is. But this is a team that has maybe not the most explosive offense in the country, not the most efficient offense in the country, but they're really good on defense. They're solid on defense. Guys, this might surprise you if you haven't paid attention. Now, I know it's been against some very bad competition. East Illinois, who is an FCS team, not good, right? And then you got ECU is one of the worst FBS teams out there. So it's not been good competition, but they've done a really good job playing defense against the teams that have been put in front of them. Right now, through two weeks, they are third in the SEC and fourth nationally, only allowing 186 yards per game. They're actually only one spot behind us at number three in yards per play allowed. We're giving up 3.13 yards per play, which is insane. That is crazy elite. South Carolina is not far behind, only 3.48 yards per play allowed right now through two weeks. Now, our competition's been better, but still impressive nonetheless on what they're doing right now defensively. And again, they're also just one spot behind us at sixth in the country in passing yards allowed per game, giving up 115 yards a game. We're giving up 112, so they're not that far off right now. Again, our competition's been better than theirs, but still pretty impressive. Uh, 22nd in the country in rush defense, giving up 71 yards a game. They're fifth in the country right now in scoring defense at eight and a half points per game allowed. And guys, even if you're not impressed with who they've played, I get that. I understand that. I'm right there with you. I had the same questions. But still, it's a far cry from the South Carolina defense that we saw last year. I mean, they were basically in the 100s in every major defensive category last year, guys. They were 107th nationally in scoring defense, 112th in points per play, 105th in total defense, 117th in third down uh, conversion percentage allowed. Uh, they were 115th in passing yards allowed per attempt, 118th in quarterback rating. They were 95th. Oh, they're inside the 100 there. 95th in rushing defense. Gave 195 yards game last year. They were bad, guys. They were not good. So this is a team that they had a lot of injuries on defense last year. They had some guys opt out. So it was it was certainly not indicative of the kind of talent they had on defense. So they had just a lot of guys out. But this year, a lot of those guys are back, at least in the front seven. And they are playing at a much, much higher level. It's a totally different defense than what we saw from South Carolina last year. That was a major, major problem this uh, last year. I mean, guys, we could have scored like 90 on them if we wanted to last year. Remember that first half? We were scoring at will. We just basically stopped scoring in the second half, stopped even trying to score because we didn't want to do that to Bobo and those guys. So we just didn't even try to score. We could have put 75, 80, 90 points on them if we really, really wanted to, but we didn't want to. So yeah, offense, not great. Defensively, they are very, very good right now. And then finally here, our defensive numbers, if you look at this, I just have a hard time, I kind of alluded to this, I have a hard time believing that South Carolina's offense is going to be able to do much of anything against our defense based on what I've seen from our defense and what I've seen from their offense through two games. Now, yes, Luke Doty will likely be inserted as a starting quarterback. They will likely be better on offense, but I still have some questions, man, because right now South Carolina is currently averaging 5.58 yards per play on offense. That is not good. That is very bad. And as I said earlier, we are currently allowing 3.13 yards to play defensively. Not a good matchup for them. It's just not. They only managed 325 yards against ECU. That's not good enough, guys. ECU is freaking terrible. That is a terrible football team. Yes, I know. Lou Doty's probably going to play. Different offense. Sure, whatever. 
that's just not going to get it done. If you can't, if you can't manage 350 yards of offense against ECU, how are you going to do anything against this monster elite Georgia defense? I have major questions there. So yeah, their defense is good, but their offense is just not there right now. So very much a tale of two sides of the ball for this South Carolina Gamecock football team. All right, guys, let's move into the next section here. Three questions I have for this game. It's a little bit different. The first two weeks we've done three matchups to watch. We're going to just switch up a little bit here because now that we've got a little bit of evidence to work off, we've got some actual game tape to operate off of here. I'm looking at this game and there are some questions I have heading into this game on both sides, on the South Carolina side and also on the Georgia side. First off, I've kind of alluded to this a little bit already. My first big question here in this game is what does the South Carolina offense look like this week? It has, as I just laid out, it has been a struggle for them through two games offensively. There's 76 nationally in total offense at 382 yards a game, only 5.65 yards per play, and they've done that against Eastern Illinois and ECU. Those are two teams they should be putting up big time numbers against, but they haven't, especially against ECU. Now, as I said, though, they've been doing it without their projected starter at quarterback and a grad assistant in his place. That does have to have an impact on their offense. You have to admit that. And as I said, I fully expect Luke Doty to start this game and go the distance, barring some sort of injury setback. Maybe you see a series or two if things aren't going well with Zeb Nolan, see if they can spark him a little bit. Maybe you see something like that. But I expect to see a lot of Luke Doty in this game. And with that being the case, what I would say is the South Carolina offense that we have seen to this point might very well not exist this week and moving forward because Nolan and Doty are just so different in what they bring to the table at the quarterback position. I'm not saying that I'm concerned about this. I wouldn't say I'm concerned. Concerned is not the right word, but I guess I would say I'm very aware. I'm aware of the difficulty that poses for a defense where you are playing an offense where when you're watch, what you're watching on film through the first two weeks might not resemble at all what you will actually see on the field on Saturday. That's tough. Like We've seen none of their quarterback run stuff on safe. Anything they have for the quarterback run game, which you know they have, Luke Doty, that's what this guy brings to the table. We haven't seen any of that. That's tough to prepare for when you haven't seen it. Any tendencies we've seen to this point with Zeb Nolan at quarterback, I think in, in large part, can kind of be thrown out the window. It's a different quarterback. I think it's going to be a different looking offense. Now, the structure will be largely the same, but they're going to be doing things a lot differently offensively, calling plays differently. Their tendencies are going to be different. You're going to see some different plays than what we've seen through the first two weeks. It, to me, it's basically like playing week one all over again, where you don't really have any film from this season to prepare off of. And that's not an excuse, but it does make it more difficult. And the most recent example would be the Clemson game. I mean, we spent all offseason telling you guys that Clemson plays this really attacking, aggressive style defense. And our offensive game plan was clearly built around that. They under they saw the same things that I saw. They watched a lot more tape than I did. As much tape as I watched, they watched infinitely more tape than I watched. And they saw the same things I saw. Clemson blitzes more than anybody in the country. They attack, they're aggressive, all those things. So we built our offensive game plan based off of that, what we've seen from Clemson in the past, because we hadn't seen any 2021 tape, because they hadn't played any 2021 games. And then Clemson comes out in that first game, and they do something totally uncharacteristic defensively, and we weren't ready for it. So our game plan was kind of thrown out the window 
right out the bat there and you kind of have to adjust on the fly now it worked out for us but it does make things tougher obviously it was not a great look offensively think about how we looked week one versus week two very different look because with Clemson, we just weren't prepared for what they were going to do. We didn't know. So that's the kind of re- that's the reason why it makes a thing like that so difficult is where you just don't know exactly how to prepare. You know he's a mobile quarterback. You know you have to have uh, eye discipline. You know you have to be able to probably spy the quarterback at times, mirror him, do some different things from a coverage standpoint, and do some different things schematically. But it's just tough to know exactly what the tendencies and their plays they're going to run because we haven't seen it yet. So you just got to be aware of that. It makes it a little tougher. Now, the next question I have here is how much healthier does Georgia get this week? We know that Darnell Washington and Tyke Smith are very doubtful for this game. They are out of their boots, but Kirby said early this week in his press conference that while they're out of their boots, they're, they're doing some, some load-bearing running now. They're very doubtful for this game. I do not at all expect them to play in this game. Hopefully soon, maybe next week, I would hope at least for Arkansas, maybe we can get away with them not playing in Vanderbilt against Vanderbilt, but right now they're not going to play this game. But there's some other guys that might be getting close, getting healthier. I have been told that Dominic Blaylock is ready to go, and we are likely to see him at some point this weekend. Now, how much we're going to see of him, when we're going to see him, and what capacity we're going to see him, I don't know that, but I've been told that he's ready to go, and he's probably going to give it a go this weekend. So that's another shot in the arm for our offense, getting somebody healthy there. Now, I don't know how much to expect from Dom coming off two ACLs like that. My expectations are low. I know he's a really talented player, but he's got, obviously got to build confidence and work himself back into uh, some rhythm there out there on the field. But it's good to hear that he's at least probably going to play. That's what I'm hearing right now. Now, I'm not as sure on Kiaris Jackson. I have not heard anything really hard there. I haven't been told anything on him. But what we do know is he's already been returning punts. He looked pretty good doing that last week. And I, you have to imagine he's getting closer and closer to being able to go out there and play meaningful snaps. And this might be a game where we start to see him be worked back into the fold offensively a little bit. And that'd be nice, guys. Like, we need, like this is a game we can probably win without those guys. Hopefully it should be. But we need those guys to be not just like available when we get to the meat of our schedule, but we need to have them confident and get into a sort, some sort of a rhythm and kind of just get into that flow there so they can be a more consistent threat for us. So hopefully we'll be able to see Kiaris a little bit more offensively this week. And then, of course, the big question, where is JT Daniels in his recovery from his oblique injury? Is he ready to be the guy? Kirby said that he's he threw more on Saturday than he had all week leading up to that point. But it's one of those things, it's kind of a day-to-day thing. It really is. You just don't know. One day can be fine. Next day, like you push a little bit, the next day it's really sore again. So it's just, it's really tough to know on that front. And if he's not healthy, is Stetson again the guy? I would assume he's going to be. Does Stetson Bennett go the whole way? Does Carson Beck get some, get some series like he did against UAB in this game? I don't know the answer to those questions. So that's a question to certainly be watching as well in terms of the health of this Georgia football team. And the final question here that I have is a big one. What do we do this week along the offensive line? Last week was just not good enough, guys, along the offensive line. I, I, I touched on that a little bit in the recap episode, and I touched on it a lot more in our mailbag episode. So if you haven't checked that out, you can go check out my thoughts there. But the more I've gone back and rewatched the game again, and the more I watch it, the more frustrated I get with our offensive line play, the more alarmed I get with what we were doing up front last week. And yeah, I told you guys last week, UAB is good up front. That's a good defense, but it's all relative. Come on. There's no way that they should have been able to, with the personnel gap there, with the gap in personnel in terms of the, the talent there, they should have been able to hold up at the point of attack like they did against us last week. We were simply not getting a, enough movement on the interior. It's that simple. 
I personally believe, as I said earlier this week, a big part of that is that we are basically right now, not basically, we are, we're playing two centers inside right now. We're playing Cedric Van Pran, who's the center at center, and we're playing Warren Erickson, who's really a center, who was the center before he hurt his hand at guard. And the problem with that is centers traditionally aren't your biggest offensive linemen. That's not what they're really asked to do. So with both those guys in there, two centers playing, one playing center, one playing guard, we don't have the mass and strength on the interior to get the type of movement that we want. Justin Schaefer's big enough. He's got the mass. He's got the strength. Warren Erickson, good player. I don't think he's a a fit at guard for us against good defensive fronts. I just don't. I think we need to get bigger on the interior. I think we need to get stronger on the interior. So what I would prefer, as I said earlier this week, is to move Jamari Salyer in at guard. He gives us some more girth there, about 325, 330, and have Broderick Jones play left tackle if Broderick Jones is ready to play that spot. I don't know the answer to that. I haven't seen enough of him. He wasn't great in pass protection last week, but that was his first like real meaningful playing time. So you have to hope he's going to get better as time goes on. So, if, But if we're not comfortable with Broderick Jones at left tackle in this game, which I get with a guy like Kinsley Enixbari coming off the edge there and that good defense front they have, and, you're, and that's the hold up there, well, okay, if you still want, feel like you want to keep Salyer out left tackle, try Xavier Trust. Give Xavier Trust more of a look at guard. We need more size, more mass, more strength inside right now to get more of a push. We've got to be able to run the football with more consistency than we have through the first two weeks. But like Clemson, here's the thing. The the, the South Carolina defensive line, they're not quite at Clemson's level, but they're really good, man. This is not quite the defensive line that you want to be experimenting with. I would understand, I really would, if there was some hesitation among our coaching staff with like throwing some young guys in there against this defensive front, especially, like I said, with Inigsbari looming on the edge. Broderick Jones did struggle in pass pro last week at times. And this South Carolina defensive front, it's it's a good defensive front. So we need to be better on the offensive line. I think to be better, we need to get bigger and stronger on the interior. I think we have some different guys that we can play inside. We have some options there. But it's tough. It's tough to make that decision against a defensive line that is as deep and talented as this South Carolina defensive line is. So we'll see how that goes. It's certainly something I'll be watching very closely as we near the uh, the game on Saturday night. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Okay, let's move in to the two big matchups to watch here. I, I was kind of just talking about it a second ago with the South Carolina defensive line, and I was giving them some props, talking about how good they are, and they are, guys. They are very, very good. And I'm just going to kind of continue on my conversation here about our offensive line and this defensive line. A big matchup to watch here is how does our offensive line handle this South Carolina D-line? Can we get some movement? Can we find some ability to run the football and stay out of third and long situations? Because that is what South Carolina, very much like Clemson, they want to get us in those third and long situations. They have some good pass rushers. 
Aaron Sterling, Kingsley Inigbari, those guys can rush the passer. If you get in third long, they're going to come after you. And that's going to be very difficult for any of our offensive linemen to hold up against guys that can rush the passer like that. You got Inigbari, and you got also Jordan Straken, which is a guy that was a beast for Georgia State last year, led the country in sacks. He's transferred over uh, to South Carolina, and he had a sack last week. Kingsley Inigbari had two sacks last week. Those guys can rush the passer. Aaron Sterling can as well. You got Jordan Birch. You got Zach Pickens on the interior, who are both former five-star players. Again, say what you want about Will Muschamp. He stacked that defensive line with big-time players, and we're going to have to play those guys this week. They're all healthy. They didn't all play last year. They are playing this week. We didn't see all those guys last year. We will see all of them this week. And to me, our offensive line has some questions. We've got to answer. We've got to answer the, the call here and, and step up and play really well against what I think is a very, very good South Carolina defensive line. So it's definitely a matchup to watch in this game. And the second matchup to watch here, I'm going to go with Brock Bowers, tight end Brock Bowers against the South Carolina pass defense. Two games into his career, Brock Bowers is leading the Georgia football team in both receptions and yards. And yes, South Carolina is great on the defensive line, as I just said, but I still have some questions about their ability to match up in the back end against better talent. They lost J.C. Horn. They lost Israel McQuamu. They lost some good big-time players. Lost Jamie Robinson. He's now playing at Florida State, I want to say. Uh, they've lost some big-time players in that secondary, and they're still trying to find some some fits. They're trying to figure out what the pieces are going to be. And their linebackers, like, like Green is fine. He's a good downhill player. It's kind of like Ventrell Miller for Florida. Sherrod Green is, but he's just not a guy that's really going to match up with a, with a tight end like Brock Bowers, who's a true dual, like a true hybrid threat tight end that can go out there and run routes just like a receiver. And you saw the speed last week where he just completely destroyed the angles of the UAB secondary players on that on that long 89 yard touchdown catch. So I don't think they have the linebackers to match up with him. And secondary right now, they have some major questions there. They're still trying to figure all that out. And they just haven't really been tested against Eastern Illinois and and uh, ECU last week as well. So if we need a big play, we're going to Brock Bowers. We've seen that through two games already. He's the guy. He's the go-to guy around. He's the one we're going to when we need a big first down, we need a big play. We're going to Brock Bowers. He's just a tough matchup for anybody, and I just don't know if South Carolina has the personnel to match up with him in this game. And then finally, our one key to this game, there's always multiple keys to any game, but we're going to spotlight what I think is the biggest key to this game so as you guys heard, I've already dedicated a, a chunk of time on this episode talking about the offensive line. Why did I do that? Well, because I think that is the key to winning this game comfortably. Can we finally dig deep and find a way to exert our will up front against what I think is a very good defensive line? It's a very good defensive line. We had our moments versus Clemson, but we kind of struggled to get any consistent movement in that game. And obviously last week, same story. Just did not get enough movement against a team that we should have been moving almost at will. I, I truly believe that. They're good up front. They had, no, no way should be able to match up with our offensive line. And if we're going to win an SEC or, or a national title this year like we all want to, this offensive line has got to step it up. I told you guys in the preseason that this is my biggest concern coming into the 2021 season. Everybody was talking about the secondary. That was the big concern, right? That was the national narrative. Georgia's secondary, they lost so much. Oh my God, they're a disaster in the secondary. Once we got the transfers in, I told you guys, I felt fine. We're, like, there's gonna be a learning curve there for guys like Keely Ringo and Amir Speed, but we were set at safety. We got Darren Kendrick in there. Tyke Smith comes in. 
you had Latavius Brini come in as well. Are you returning back as well? I felt good there. Now, the depth is not where I want to be, but the front line there, I felt pretty good about. But I had some concerns about the offensive line because we need them to be good to ultimately achieve what we want to achieve. And it's kind of played out that way. Our offensive line hasn't been great. And our secondary has been really good, like a 92.5 coverage grade, according to Pro Football Focus, leading college football right now through two weeks. And that's against two pretty good football teams. So to me, the key to this game is our offensive line. If our offensive line answers the challenge and creates movement up front against South Carolina, against their good defensive front, and we can run the ball effectively to be able to stay out of third longs and neutralize a very strong South Carolina pass rush, then we should win this game comfortably. If we can't run the football and we can't stay out third and long, we, we should still win because we are just a, a much more talented team overall, one through 85 with our roster. And I'm also, as I said earlier, not sure their offensive line, their offense in general has the ability to score enough on our defense, absent some like crazy turnover fest to actually win the game, to actually beat us. But if we don't win the line of scrimmage battle on offense with our offensive line, this game could end up being a lot closer than it should be, and a lot closer than we all want it to be. So to me, that again, that's just, that's the key to the game. Does the offensive line show up? Do we answer the bell? You know the offensive line is going to be challenged by our coaching staff this week after what they did last week. It was just a terrible performance all around. It was just not good, not good enough. They're going to be challenged. Do they answer the challenge this week against a good South Carolina front? I think that's key to the game because if they do and we can run the football, then I don't see any way South Carolina really keeps this game all that close. But we will be back later on in the week. Charlie and I, we have one more episode. We have our picks of the week, and I will give you my official game prediction on this on this game. I'll share some more thoughts with you guys. I'll kind of break it down one more time for you. So make sure to check back later in the week for that. We'll have a lot of fun with that, as we do each and every Thursday to wrap up the week. But thanks for listening, guys. I really appreciate it. Again, thank you for all support. Thanks for listening early in the season. Our best week ever last week. We're on track for our best month ever. And that's all thanks to you guys. Thank you so much for all support. Charlie and I will be back one more time this week. But I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>